So I've been wanting to make a video for a while, just one of my commentary videos. I haven't done it and I missed it. Um, this particular one is going to seem kind of strange because I'm not commenting on specific material from a school. I'm not commenting on lesson plans. I'm not commenting on any of that ideology, except insofar as to say that I'm noticing some trends or at least some themes in what's going on in art, literature, and television, specifically. Film, if you count the film version of the literature that I'm going to talk about. Um, I look around at the woke cult or the woke ideas, and I see them as nihilistic, you know, not really believing in anything in particular. There's very subjective reality is whatever you want it to be. Um, there are demands that people make of other people. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of frustration. There's the weaponization of empathy. In other words, you know, if you don't do what I want, you don't love me, you, you know, you, you don't really care. While at the same time telling people they need to be empathetic, it's more of a demand than it is encouragement. And this seemingly endless need for like attention. Some people are calling it narcissism. Um, it, it is that. I don't know that it's like the NPD variety, but um, it definitely is narcissistic behavior in the extreme, entitlement behavior in the extreme, uh, behavior that is more fitting of a toddler than adults or even teenagers. Um, and at the same time, the people behaving in all these ways claim they're doing what they do out of love, out of caring, out of tolerance, out of justice and all that. But there's so much anger. There's so much anger. There's so much hate. You don't really hear a lot of love. You don't see a lot of love. And that's how I see their ideology. Even all of the new, you know, inclusivity feels very exclusive to me. It doesn't feel like people who are, quote, normal, people who are heterosexual, people who are the biological sex they were, you know, they were born, they just live that way, most people, in other words, people who are monogamous, people who are turned off by overt displays of sexuality, people who think it's really gross and indecent to sexualize little children, people who don't think it's age appropriate to expose them to porn or even to sexual material um, before they're pretty on into their teenage years, etc. Um, we're not included. We're not, we're not included. People who value a knowledge-based curriculum in school were deemed racist, white supremacist, elitist. That seems funny coming from people who look down their noses at people who don't have college degrees or PhDs, but I digress. Um, so the, the claim that people are just doing this out of love and inclusivity just doesn't, doesn't hold water doesn't feel very loving, feels very hateful. Lots of canceling, lots of venom, lots of reporting to the Twitter minders, the Facebook minders, the YouTube minders. They said mean things. They hurt people. They're threatening people. I'm triggered. You know, so-and-so is going to die from words. That, again, sounds like hate and anger, not love. So that's what I see on the woke side. Hate, anger, fear. Those are the dominant dominant emotions. Not love. 
Mm-mm. People who love other people respect their boundaries. People who love other people don't gaslight them. They don't tell them something isn't true that is demonstrably true. They don't tell you not to believe your own eyes and your own senses. They don't accuse you of being a terrible, terrible person just because you disagree. Uh, they don't demand that you be any particular kind of person. That's not coming from a loving, inclusive place. So I'm not really seeing the love or the inclusivity or even respect for diversity. It's more like, you know, a desire for the weirdest, the least normative to stand out and have power and anybody else should not. So that that's that. The people who actually can feel love and want to include others in their lives, um, they're not getting much airtime. Mm -mm, they're not. And in fact, they're being told and they're being shown in many ways, if you do not submit, if you do not comply, whether they're a child or an adult, bad things are going to happen to you. Bad things are going to happen to you because you love, because you want respect. You'll give it right back, but you want it too. You have boundaries. Because you love your children and you want what's best for them, you're being shamed. You're being called a terrorist. You're being marginalized. Let's face it, demonized. And yet, if people point blank you, you'll say, but I love, I love my child. I love this country. I love liberty. And you'll even say that to the person who's demonizing you. You may not love them individually, but you want those things for them too. You're not saying, I don't want you to be free. You're just saying, I, I want freedom too. You're capable of love. And the reason I bring all this up, this love versus hate and all that, is I've been watching Stranger Things. Maybe you have too. And this is where you might want to turn off the video if you plan to watch it and you haven't watched it yet because there will be spoilers. I'm just giving you that opportunity. Let me shut it off right now. There will be spoilers. For the rest of you, I'm going to take this opportunity, if you're this far in the video, to thank you for being here and ask you to please consider subscribing to the channel, liking, commenting, sharing the videos. It really helps me get the word out. But I'm going to continue. I'm going to talk about Stranger Things. I'm also going to be talking about Lord of the Rings. I'm going to be talking about A Wrinkle in Time and Harry Potter. You may or may not have read that literature or seen the movies. Um, you may or may not have watched Stranger Things up to this point. But, uh, and like I said, that's why. They're going to be spoilers. So make your decisions now. Um, but I, I bring them up because as I was watching Stranger Things, it hit me that the, the demon, Vecna, in this season seems to be a metaphor for all that hate that resentment, that vengeance that preys on guilt and fear. It even says in, in one point to the character Max, it's your guilt tells you you belong with me, me being death, me being the darkness of Vecna and his very dark lair filled with spiders and other creepy crawlies. And it's all going on in her mind. It's a living nightmare. They describe it as a living nightmare. Does that sound familiar? I see the woke 
mentality as a living nightmare. I can't imagine feeling the way they feel or thinking the way they think. That has got to be a living nightmare. And there you are in a world filled with beauty and love and possibility. And yet you look around and you see racism and you see you see all the negatives. You don't see what an amazing country we live in, what an amazing world we live in, where things are actually better for humankind than they've ever, ever been. Well, that's Vecna is dominating your thoughts. And just like Vecna, you feel you belong with that darkness because you're filled with guilt and fear and anger and rage. And the more the woke ideas seep into education and the more these kids are exposed to them, just like the characters in Stranger Things, the more they get sucked into it. They don't have anything else telling them any different. So they get sucked in. And I compare that to A Wrinkle in Time to the character, well, I guess it's a character, It. And I'm going to read something from A Wrinkle in Time because I think you'll understand why I compare the two, or the three, rather. The woke ideas, Vecna from Stranger Things, and It. The man stood up, moving jerkily as though he had been sitting for a long time. I hope he isn't too hard on you, he murmured as he led the children toward the empty fourth wall. The children are brother and a sister very little boy i think he's five or six the girl i believe is mm, 11 or 12 and then there's a boy about the same age and they are going to try to rescue the father of the boy and the girl he's trapped on a planet called camazots and they don't know how he got there well they do he tests he tessered he tesseracted and um he's stuck there they don't know why he's stuck or how he's stuck and they're asking around on this planet where everyone seems to operate in a very mechanized, almost automatized way. They do certain things in a very rhythmic pattern and they do not deviate. They cannot deviate. And they are questioned, where are you going and why are you here and why are you not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing? And so it's obvious that everyone on this planet has a specific role they're supposed to be doing at a specific time and they are not to deviate. So the man they're talking to is the person who is bringing them to the central central intelligence agency where it resides uh, because they're looking for the father and you know this is where you go to talk to the great brain which is it i hope he isn't too hard on you he murmured as he led the children toward the empty fourth wall but i've been reprocessed once and that was more than enough and i don't want to get sent to it i've never been sent to it and i can't risk having that happen there was it again. What was it? The man took from his pocket a folder filled with papers of every color. He shuffled through them carefully, finally withdrawing one. I've had several reports to make lately. I shall have to ask for a requisition for more A21 cards. He took the card and put it against the wall. It slid through the marble as though it were being sucked in and disappeared. You may be detained for a few days, the man said, but I'm sure they won't be too hard on you because of your youth. Just relax and don't fight it, and it will all be much easier for you. He went back to his seat, leaving the children standing and staring at the blank wall. And suddenly the wall was no longer there, and they were looking into an enormous room lined with machines. They were not unlike the great computing machines Meg had seen in her science books and that she knew her father sometimes worked with. Some did not seem to be in use. In others, lights were flickering on and off. In one machine, a long tape was being eaten. In another, a series of dot dashes were being punched. Several white-robed attendants were moving about, tending the machines. If they saw the children, they gave no sign. Calvin muttered something. What? Meg asked him. There's nothing to fear except fear itself, Calvin said. I'm quoting, like Mrs. Who, Meg. I'm scared stiff. 
So am I. Meg held his hand more tightly. Come on. They stepped into the room with the machines. In spite of the enormous width of the room, it was even longer than it was wide. Perspective made the long rows of machines seem almost to meet. The children walked down the center of the room, keeping as far from the machines as possible. Though I don't suppose they're radioactive or anything, Charles Wallace said, or that they're going to reach out and grab us and chew us up. After they had walked for what seemed like miles, they could see the enormous room did have an end, and there at the end, there was something. Charles Wallace said suddenly, and his voice held panic, Don't let go my hands. Hold me tight. He's trying to get at me. Who? Meg squeaked. I don't know, but he's trying to get in at me. I can feel him. Let's go back. Calvin started to pull away. No, Charles Wallace said, I have to go on. We have to make decisions and we can't make them if they're based on fear. His voice sounded old and strange and remote. Meg, clasping a small hand tightly, could feel it sweating in hers. As they approached the end of the room, their steps slowed. Before them was a platform. On the flat platform was a chair and on the chair was a man. What was there about him that seemed to contain all the coldness and darkness they had felt as they plunged through the black thing on their way to the planet? I've been waiting for you, my dears, the man said. His voice was kind and gentle, not at all the cold and frightening voice Meg had expected. It took her a moment to realize that though the voice came from the man, he had not opened his mouth or moved his lips at all, that no real words had been spoken to fall upon her ears, that he had somehow communicated directly into their brains. But how does it happen that there are three of you, the man asked. Charles Wallace spoke with harsh boldness, but Meg could feel him trembling. Oh, Calvin just came along for the ride. Oh, did he? Did he? For a moment, there was a sharpness to the voice that spoke inside their minds. Then it relaxed and became soothing again. I hope that it has been a pleasant one so far. Very educational, Charles Wallace said. Let Calvin speak for himself, the man ordered. Calvin growled his lip tight, his body rigid. I have nothing to say. Meg stared at the man in horrified fascination. His eyes were bright and had a reddish glow. Above his head was a light and it glowed in the same manner as the eyes, pulsing, throbbing, in steady rhythm. Charles Wallace shut his eyes tightly. Close your eyes, he said to Meg and Calvin. Don't look at the light. Don't look at his eyes. He'll hypnotize you. Clever, aren't you? Focusing your eyes would, of course, help. The soothing voice went on. But there are other ways, my little man. Oh, yes, there are other ways. If you try it on me, I'll kick you, Charles Wallace said. It was the first time Meg had ever heard Charles Wallace suggesting violence. Oh, will you indeed, my little man? The thought was tolerant, amused, but four men in dark smocks appeared and flanked the children. And here's, here's the part that's really important. Now, my dears, the words continued, I shall, of course, have no need of recourse to violence, but I thought perhaps it would save you pain if I showed you once that it would do you no good to try to oppose me. You see, what you will soon realize is there is no need to fight me. Not only is there no need, but you will not have the slightest desire to do so. For why should you wish to fight someone who is here only to save you pain and trouble? For you as well as I, for the rest, for the rest of all the happy, useful people on this planet, I, in my own strength, am willing to assume all the pain, all the responsibility, all the burdens of thought and decision. We will make our own decisions, thank you, Charles Wallace said. But of course. And our decisions will be one. Yours and mine. Don't you see how much better, how much easier for you that is? Let me show you. So it is sort of the central brain, the ultimate thought police, gets inside their heads and tells them, I'll make all your decisions says so in a loving, calming voice, doesn't it? But as the story progresses, it doesn't want them to leave, doesn't allow them to leave, doesn't give them the option to think other thoughts. Sound familiar? Just tells them, I'm going to decide. It will be better for you. It will be easier for you. With a soothing tone, it'll be easier. You'll feel less pain. 
And with Vecna, it's kind of the same thing. Your guilt says you belong with me. I will end your suffering soon. Your suffering as soon as it at an end. He keeps describing to the pe- to the teenagers he kills that their suffering will soon be at an end. Suffering. You mean like puberty? You mean like teenage angst? You mean like that confusion about where you fit, where you stand, what your role in life is going to be, what you like, what you don't like, who you care about, who you don't care about, that sort of thing, that kind of suffering, the guilt over people you may have hurt in the past because you were young and dumb and thoughtless because young people are dumb and thoughtless, that kind of guilt, unearned guilt for things you didn't do, but other people blame you for, or things that have happened to your parents that you've taken on to yourself for some reason, that kind of pain and suffering. Yeah, that's what Vecna says he's going to take away, just like it says he's going to take away their pain and suffering of having to make any decisions. Just suck their life right out of them so they no longer live, so they're just suspended, brainless robots, meat puppets. Well, that's Vecna and that's it. And now I'm going to get to the part about the love because what happens is at at a point, Meg, the girl, has to go back to the planet. She escapes with her father, but the little boy is left behind. He's been captured. He's the youngest. And even though he's the smartest, he's the youngest, he's the least experienced with fighting it. He has the least amount of anger and violence in him just by virtue of lack of experience. Sound familiar? Little kids, elementary school. So he gets sucked in and he, he's, he's left behind. So somebody has to go back and attempt to rescue him. But it's deadly, of course, because at any point the brain could suck you in. Just like Vecna, just like going to fight Vecna and do away with him for once and for all to make sure he doesn't come and kill any more of their friends is going to be risky, right? Who gets to go? Well, Meg gets to go because Meg knows Charles Wallace the best. And one of the misses, there's, you know, Mrs. Witch, Mrs. Who, and so forth, tells her, you have something it doesn't have. And she can't figure out what it is. And then she gets there and she realizes the thing that she has that it does not have, and this is also where Harry Potter comes in, is she has love. And it actually tries to tell her, just like the woke try to tell her kids, your parents don't really love you. Or your parents don't understand you. I do, though. I love you. I'll help you. You can tell me your secrets. Well, it says to her that nobody loves her, that the Mrs. What's-It actually hates her. And she says, and that's where it made its fatal mistake. For as Meg said automatically, Mrs. Watsit loves me. That's what she told me, that she loves me. Suddenly she knew, she knew, love. That is what she had that it did not have. She had Mrs. Watsit's love and her father's and her mother's and the real Charles Wallace's love and the twins and Aunt Beast's and she had love for them. But how could she use it? What was she meant to do? If she could give love to it, perhaps it would shrivel up and die. Like Voldemort, when he touched anything that had love, he would burn. 
But she in all her weakness and foolishness and baseness and nothingness was incapable of loving it. Perhaps it was not too much of it to ask of her, but she could not do it. But she could love Charles Wallace. She could stand there and she could love Charles Wallace. And that's exactly what she did. She said, I love you, Charles Wallace. Even though Charles Wallace was sitting there and saying horrible things to her, gaslighting her because he was completely taken over by it. Bore no resemblance to her little brother anymore. She still kept saying, but I love you. I love you. And she said it over and over and over. And guess what? He broke out of the spell and went running to his sister. And that actually helped them tesseract back home. So that, that saved him was love. And interestingly enough, the same thing happens in Stranger Things. Max is about to be taken. But what saves her is her friend's love and concern for her. Realizing they need to get her out of her own head, away from that living nightmare. Ground her again in something she loves. Kate Bush, her favorite song. Art, love, beauty. The things that Vecna doesn't have. The things the woke don't have. And it works. And it keeps her protected. But they still have to go after Vecna, don't they? Because Vecna is going to go after other people. And what gives him the courage to do that? What gives him the courage to go where Vecna is? To the upside down, where there's the most danger. What gives Harry Potter the courage to face Voldemort? What gives Sam and Frodo the courage to go to Mordor? Love. They're not the strongest. They're not the most powerful. They're not the smartest. But what are they filled with? Love. And love for the Shire, love for their friends, love for their families, love for life, adventure, beauty, all that. That gave him courage. Because when you love, you have to take risk. You can't love without risk. You can't love without opening yourself up to ambiguity, chaos, loss. People die. People leave. People don't love you back. People change. Pets too. It's a risk. It's a beautiful risk. Life is a beautiful risk. A series of beautiful risks that you can only enjoy if you're open to them. And so what I see going on with the woke is I see this dark, and I know the, the, the religious amongst us would say it's Satan and the darkness is evil of a, of a supernatural you know, type and so forth. I think you could just as easily, from a secular perspective, say that the darkness is the absence of love, the absence of joy, the absence of art, the absence of beauty, because people have been immersed in fear and resentment, subjectively presented by people who themselves either didn't feel love, can't feel love, refuse to feel love because they're too afraid, they've been hurt. It's almost like the walking wounded, or if you rather the walking dead, are controlling the institutions of our country, of our world, and in particular our schools, where we send the people we love most dearly, the most vulnerable amongst us. We are sending into Vecna's lair. We are sending to a place where, because, you know, Vecna truly believed he was saving Elle. 
right? I'm saving you from suffering. I'm saving you from being used and exploited. I am liberating you. That's what Vecna said. That's the same thing, isn't it? That the woke teachers say. They're lib the Frarians were liberating you. Really? Into a world filled with struggle, hate, fear, anger, resentment? In a world away from those who love us and would risk anything for us? Why? Why is that? Because they don't have love. I am not suggesting that we love them. I'm not suggesting that any more than Meg was going to love it. Okay? I'm saying we need to love the people we love harder. That means our kids. So the kids that we're sending off into, the, into this wilderness, we need to make extra sure they know they're loved. Explicitly. You can't say it often enough. We need to make extra sure we show them what that means, that that means respect for boundaries, that that means accepting, accepting them as they are, that that means taking pleasure in their, in their joy, holding their hand through their pain, risking our inconvenience for them. I don't mean laying down your life for them at every turn. I just mean being really open and demonstrating to them what love is because that is what the woke don't have to offer. They don't have that. And I do believe it's what every child wants. So they get lured in by the nice sweet voice and I'll take care of everything for you and make it all okay only to discover emptiness on the other side. Their suffering doesn't end. It just becomes nothingness. There's nothing to hold on to. And they've been and they're told in that process, there's nothing to go back to. Or they're encouraged to make changes that are alienating to those people who love them. Don't let them alienate you. Don't let the woke Vecnas of the world win. Be Sam and Frodo. Be Meg. Be Harry Potter and all his friends. And you go and you get those kids and you pull them out of where they are and you love them. And the woke can't compete. I know it sounds overly simplistic, but it's something that I've just noticed that, that that's the antidote to all of this. We can go ahead and, and hate on the woke all we want. And by all means, go for it. If it. Certainly, if there's something constructive, you can do with that. But I don't suggest we do it in front of our children. And I don't suggest that that is all we do. We've got to just live the antidote. And that's what it, the antidote is. Love, beauty, joy. Those are my thoughts on this Sunday afternoon. Thank you for watching. Once again, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. That's the video.